Just like the days of old Only with coffee, not cereal Time to reminisce, time to rewind With the crew behind Favorite Saturday morning pajama Hello and welcome, pour yourself a bowl of cereal, grab a spot on the couch, and join us in our Saturday morning pajamas. I'm your host, Jax, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Saturday Morning Pajamas, a pop culture podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, and whatever else strikes our fancy. We just may be joined by a guest host or two today, so stay tuned to find out. Now, before we get going, we're going to hear a few words from some friends, maybe some sponsors, some fellow podcasters, what have you. So let's all give them a little listen before we get on with the show. Hi, this is Jax here today with another podcast, and I am joined by... Hi, I'm Do. And we are going to be talking about a classic movie, 1988's Poltergeist 3. Why start with the third one? Because everyone's seen the damn first one. And the second one. But no one remembers the second one. And we ain't talking about the remake right now. (laughs) Maybe maybe later. Maybe. (laughs) Um, Please excuse any background noises today as our dogs want to join in and may give their two cents at some point. That is entirely possible. Yes. So let's start off with a little bit about this movie. This was part of a trilogy, as we've already mentioned, and it had a curse behind it. Unfortunately, a lot of bad things happened to the people who are making this film. And as such, I'm just going to go out there and say the movie, in my mind, did not get the proper ending that was planned or that deserves. Um, well, I, I personally feel that this movie was like, you know, superfluous to, to the franchise. I, I don't think it was necessary. I don't think it really fits in with the other two. Um, it would be different as like a standalone film. Uh, but as, you know, a third entry in the Poltergeist series, I don't think it really jibes with the other two. It's akin to like today where they'll take a completely random script off a pile and be, we can just tweak this, this, and this, and make it part of this series, and mm-hmm. yay money. Well, it's like you have, like you have um, The Mummy with Brendan Fraser from 1999, and then The Mummy Returns. Those fit together. And then that crap third one, like Tomb of the Dragon Emperor or something. Oh, the one I avoided for reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is the reason. So, uh, so I remember this one being on TV a lot when I was younger. Um mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what younger was because I really can't remember. I just have memories of it <laughs> actually just on TV. I don't remember if it was when I was 10 or when I was 20. I honestly don't. Um, but very rarely was the third one or the second one on. So I have a lot more memories of this one, yet I feel mm-hmm. a lot of scenes caught me up by surprise. Like, oh. I, I, noticed that with, I noticed that with the first three Jurassic Park films, it's like you – catch the first one all the time when they're playing it on, you know, AMC or something. And then the third one with Sam Neill all the time. But the second one, um, the lost world primarily with, uh, with Julianne Moore and Jeff Goldblum and Vince Vaughn, you don't see that one as much. And that's kind of the same with this, where you would see the first poltergeist and then the third poltergeist, but the second one was like nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And oddly, just this weekend, I've noticed a couple times one of the networks is showing Iron Man one and three, but not two. Why? It makes no sense. I, I mean, sometimes they are picking better entries when they do this, but other times it's like, I just want to watch the damn series. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. Some, some things you, you don't want to see out of chronological order. Right. 
Actually, one of these days, I want to sit down and watch um, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe from start to, in the order they were released. Mm -hmm. I mean, as if I have that kind of time, but I think it would be interesting to do that. It's, I always have dreams of going when they're doing this at the cinemas and they like watch everyone. And first couple times it was back to back to back to back and mm-hmm. we'll have intermission so you can go to the bathroom at some point maybe. Now it's like, no, you have to come on Monday or it's like last for weeks. So you have to come on Monday or Tuesday at these, one of these two times for the first one and then the second one. And they're not generally in order every time. And I'm like, no. Yeah, timing is really an issue with that because it's it's very difficult to find time to sit in a theater for that long. It's different if you're at home and you can pause one and, you know, do what you have to do or step out for a minute. But, yeah. Right. Um, getting <laughs> getting back to Poltergeist 3. Right. Um, so this one this differs very greatly from the first ones. The only returning stars you have is Heather O'Rourke as Carol Ann and Zelda Rubenstein as Tangina. Um the first two films were written by the same uh, writing team, uh, Michael, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Grace, Grace, G-R-A-I-S, and Mark Victor. They were not involved with this film at all. So that, I mean, it gives you an idea of how the quality is going to shift. You have two people who, you know, wrote the first film and know the continuity, and then someone who is stepping in to, like, pick up from there. So the characterization is going to be off. But... Even with that said, there's been some great... Hi, Sawyer. There's been oh, I'm some... so sorry. Yes, that, that is Sawyer. He's... <laughs> Sawyer's the kitty cat for anyone wondering. No, it's not a baby because at first I was like, she doesn't have a baby. <laughs> God, that would be terrifying. Oh, totally. I, I worry I'd be that mom from um, the guild, the one who just sits there playing WoW all day while the kids are crying. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to be that one. (laughs) Uh, But back to the movie, there's some movies where a new writer picks up in the series and they've done their research and everything's are great. But this one felt like there's too many hands in the pot. So not only was there a different writer, Mm -hmm. they didn't flesh out the characters as well as they could have because there's so many new ones that should give you more freedom to make something that looks good but you failed. <laughs> well, and, and, and that I think is a big part of the issue in itself that we're, we're going into these new characters and everything. I think the premise is flawed in itself because after everything they had gone through, I don't think that Carol Ann's parents, uh, Stephen and Diane from the first films, um, um, Craig T. Nelson and Craig T. Nelson. And yeah, it's escaping I, me. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think they would have sent her away, not after everything they had to do to get her back. But this allows for a huge budget cut because when you have, you know, when you're making a sequel or a third entry in a franchise and you have these people who've been there from the beginning, basically as each movie goes on, as it gets, you know, as it gains popularity, if it's popular enough to make a third film, their paychecks are going to be way up. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be thinking, yeah, you can't make this movie without me because I've been a part of it from the beginning. So they can ask for more money. So by changing the plot away from having the actual parents included and only mentioned, it slashes the budget, which I think um, was really what they were going through, going for with this. Right. And then they did a lot more sets, like interior sets in this one. Mm-hmm. 99% of the movie takes place inside a, bu- a building. 80% takes, no, like 
90% takes place in the same building. Mm-hmm. And I would like to point out that this was the John Hancock Center in Chicago. Yes, where you are. Mm-hmm. Carolina National, California, where I am. Mm-hmm. So we both got haunted shit going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think this could be a really interesting setting. I mean, when you go to kind of like the haunted house films, it's always, you know, the creepy manor house or, you know, 200-year-old house. So it was, it was interesting in the first Poltergeist film to go into that, you know, new cookie-cutter suburban newly built home. Then the second Poltergeist film, and then you're in the grandmother's house, which is, you know, older, more uh, country than suburban kind of almost a farmhouse and then you're into this third setting of a you know a newly opened luxury skyscraper that still has some construction going on inside but also has like everything anyone could possibly need inside to where the two you know principal adults in the film carol ann's um like aunt and step uncle both live and work in the same building so it's interesting for the idea of taking this haunted house that when you first think haunted house, you think, oh, the creepy old mansion on the hill, and now bringing it to a skyscraper in the middle of a busy metropolitan city. I would actually like to see more scary movies, horror movies, thrillers, whatever you want, take place in these settings, because growing up as a kid, there was so many movies that take place in suburbia. Mm -hmm. If you lived in the city, your options were basically something like Tales from the Hood, (laughs) <laughs> or similar, where it's taking place in mm-hmm. much more low-income areas. So there was nothing mm-hmm. for those city kids. Like yeah. Candyman? I mean, anything set, like, in an urban area tends to be in, I think it's center, it'll center on a public building, like a school or something, mm-hmm. as opposed to a home, because they want that creepy old house, but they don't want that. I mean, if you ever visited Chicago and most of the residential neighborhoods, you could, you know, if you open your window and your neighbor opened his, you can toss a ball back and forth. The, you know, the, the area between is, is very close. It's, it's not too far away. So if someone was, you know, battling demons in their home, the neighbor's going to notice. Uh, my houses are fairly close together where I live. Um, not as close in summers to Chicago, but the in California, they're building more and more houses, and they're building them close together. There's, like, no mm-hmm. yards. And so mm-hmm. you are getting that where there's, like, maybe 20 feet between some some walls, some neighbors. And it's kind of like, okay, back up. But then again, you don't know your neighbors, and you just mm-hmm. kind of ignore because it ain't my shit. I don't got to handle it. Well, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know what's going on over there, but I don't want it leaking over here, so. True. It it really depends on the neighborhood, so mm-hmm. it would be interesting still. But again, I mean, this this isn't even what you would consider a residential neighborhood. This is in a skyscraper in the middle of the city that has, like, a mall in the bottom and a grocery store and then an art gallery and then offices and then uh, these luxury apartments. Great. Um, so Carol Ann is sent to her mother's sister in Chicago, ostensibly to attend the school for gifted children with emotional problems. So this cuts out uh, the parents, Stephen and Diane. They don't have to pay to bring back the brother, Robbie. And there's no need to explain um, the absence of the older sister who unfortunately at this time um, had had already been uh, murdered, which we'll go more into in a bit. The actress, for the record. The actress, really. Yeah. And she's one of those characters who they just didn't even mention in the movie. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. there was a throwaway line about going back, you know, Carolyn wants to go back home to see her mom, Mm -hmm. her dad, her brother, Mm -hmm. her sister. 
like yeah i mean that was i felt that was really crass because if i recall correctly i believe they do explain a way why she isn't with them in this film i um well if i recall just why the sister isn't with them or carol ann isn't with them why the sister isn't in them in the second film i swear they say that she's she was staying with a friend i believe yeah yeah but still, it's like you would see your sister at some point. Make, yes, you think she would have mentioned that. Or be on the same coast. It's just, <laughs> to me, it kind of felt a little lazy or just forgetful. Like, we didn't do our full research. And then, and then jamming in this aunt character, um, Trish, who also who wants to be called Aunt Pat, which gives, I think, an idea into her character from the start mm-hmm. that she's like, oh, I don't want to be called by this old name. Um, I'm a new I don't person. believe uh, I don't believe she's ever mentioned in the second film when Diane's mother died. So you would think with the mother dying, the sister would have shown up at least for, you know, the services or at least been mentioned. Oh, I have to call my sister. Um, so she, I don't believe she's ever mentioned. And then at the same time, she's in the same bloodline. So wouldn't she have the ESP, you know, paranormal sensitivity that was introduced in the second film uh, that the grandmother had that Diane had and that Carol Ann has. Right. It, it, it goes back to just, we didn't, to me, it feels just didn't do our research fully. It's lazy. It's so lazy. And that bothered me uh, because I believe the gentleman who actually wrote this had some involvement with the previous films, I think as a producer or something, but not necessarily on the creative side of things. So, I mean, dude, sit down and watch the movie before you write a, another entry in the series. Right? I was going to say, just take two hours, watch the movie, and then think about it. Mm-hmm. Or have someone who, like, or the editor or someone who's, like, just, yeah, just have someone pay attention. <laughs> so, and then, so back to the plot. So, Carol Ann's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Going to this special school. Um, another new character we meet, I believe he's new, is the doctor who's, tra- who's uh, trained her at the school. That um, is Dr. Seton. I refer to him as Dr. Frollo because <laughs> his opinion is that Carol Ann is not, is not doing mass hypnosis, is doing like mass hypnosis on people. She creates these visions and makes you believe that you see them and it causes you to do things. So it's and not my fault. It's the girl's fault that I did something. Even as, you know, a kid watching this, you sit and think, wow, that is a crackpot theory. Right. And- to see him, you know, going over his theory with other people, you know, all of his uh, associates. Associates, he has people touring the school and he's talking about Carol Ann. Um, the fact that they buy into it is is quite ridiculous. Yeah, and the, which, uh, I have a point about that, uh, another point to go with that, but I'll get into that later because it has been set near the finale. Um, <laughs> but so Carol Ann goes there. We also have her step cousin. Her step cousin. Okay, so the so the aunt married um, a man, Bruce, uh, played by Tom Skerritt, who you will remember from the first Alien movie, um, as well as Picket Fences uh, TV series, and actually my favorite of his roles, um, uh, playing Julia Roberts' father in Steel Magnolias. That was him. Okay, I'm like he. Rem- I see him, I just think, this is an 80s movie. I remember him. I don't know why, but I remember him. <laughs> yeah, you know, the late 80s, early 90s were a big time for him. He still pops up now and again, but at that time, it was it was a much bigger thing for him. Mm-hmm. So we have him, and then he had a daughter named Donna who's like 17? Mm-hmm. 
And she is played by a very young uh, Laura, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, who is almost unrecognizable. She's so young because she has that kind of um, baby fat in her face still. Um, she's known nowadays for her, you know, extremely, if not, you know, maybe a little bit unhealthily slim figure. So to see her with that, you know, fullness in her cheeks, you don't even recognize her at first. And she looks perfectly healthy. Yeah, movie. she looks fine. Apart from, you know, the terrible, terrible 80s clothing. Yeah. And the horrible choices her character makes, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Responsible choices, I mean. Mm-hmm. So this is a family, we, and we're introduced to them all in a little opening montage of them getting ready in the morning. By the way, who's having the, like, Carolyn's like, what, supposed to be eight, nine, ten? Well, see, and that's the thing, and and this is something that I picked up on right away. So at the time this movie was made, Heather O'Rourke was 12 years old. But they want her to look younger. So they they wanted her, her to look younger. So she's wearing oversized childish clothes for much of the movie. She is in um, footy pajamas, a sleeper. Um, I think, honestly, I think they're dyeing her hair as well because her eyebrows have gone very dark. And it's not uncommon for children with that like very light white blonde hair when they're very young to grow darker as they grow older. Um, and with the darkness of her eyebrows, I really think they were dyeing her hair. Um, and... Uh, we would come to understand this, unfortunately, before the movie was even released. She doesn't look well. Um, she has a very uh, puffy face, and it's something that I'm familiar with in terms of um, steroid medication that is often used to treat a variety of issues. Um, can cause that they call it like a moon face, a very very puffy um, face, and she she doesn't look well to me. But then, back to with her is that. They didn't know she was really sick for a while. So while well, there's some speculation about that, but I won't go into just now. Okay, yeah. Um, um, so I think they really did stylize it to try and make her look and seem even younger, the way that she acted, her lines in the film, even, you know, playing with the speak and spell. A 12-year-old is going to know how to spell parakeet. Even if she's supposed to be like 8, 9, 10, she's more than old enough to not be playing with the speak and spell. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they refer to her repeatedly as gifted, uh, Dr. Seton or Dr. Frollo or Dr. Satan, because he's an asshole, um, mm-hmm. mentions that her IQ is, like, in the 150s. Oh, and I would like to point out that um, the chief uh, observer at the school, um, the woman with the glasses and mm-hmm. the coffee mug, her name is Mindy Bell. Um, she is actually a well-known Chicago-area actress. Um, she was on a series, a local series called Wild Chicago for many, many years. And I believe now she is, um, yeah, on Chicago Fire as well. So oh, awesome. point that out. <laughs> it's like, yay, let's start your career. You got to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. But that's awesome. I like when they use local people and not like, let's mm-hmm. film here to make money. We're not going to hire a single person in the city. <laughs> So um, the premise of bringing back, um, if, you, if you recall from the second film, and actually it's in the second film where the villain is given a name and kind of a backstory, and that is uh, Reverend Kane, or as most people will refer to him, the creepy old guy from Poltergeist. Yes. Um, the idea is that Dr. Seaton has been doing um, hypnosis therapy on Carol Ann uh, because he believes he like, she like hypnotized her neighborhood into believing that it was haunted and the houses disappeared and all this shit um so he has just been like drilling into her brain to get more answers um and making carolyn remember him and making carolyn talk about him has sort of 
drawn him to her from the limbo that he was existing in after the second movie. Though I get the feeling uh, Dr. Seaton is less trying to get her to remember and more trying to catch her in a lie because that's True. just his character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he, the memories brought her back. If I really got the sense it's like he was trying to make his career off this little girl by pointing out, you know, a bunch of, oh, this is what she can do and I'm going to write a paper on it kind of things. Like I said, he's a dick, so. Yeah, he's a dick to everyone, including his wife. So in doing that, he has brought Keen forward and we have um, Carol Ann now staying with her aunt and step-uncle and step-cousin and after all this, you know, therapy and pushing at her, uh, Kane is back. He's not quite able to grab her, but he wants to get her yes. again. And it just so happens that this one day, like, she's been living with them for a while, it's obvious, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. they seem like the perfect loving family mm-hmm. like, all together, which seemed like overall a good, you know, general. Yeah, it was a good person. dynamic, you know. The older cousin, Donna, wasn't, like, nasty. rebellious. Well, you know how you did. You get that um, character, and and we saw this actually in the gate, where they're like, "Oh, they don't want to be bothered with the younger one now." Mm-hmm. She wasn't really like that. They were like they were almost Brady Bunch level of happy family at the beginning. In that yeah, reason. because uh, Donna got along with her stepmother, the aunt Pat. Uh, Carol Ann and Aunt Pat got along real well, which I'll. The, the flip on that is kind of ridiculous too, but that's more of a, a scripting issue, which we'll come up to. Mm-hmm. So it's all, you know, very Brady Bunch, happy families. And then um, we do get that idea that it's been going on for a while where she's been seeing him. Uh, Carolyn sees a window washer who you would guess that she's seen quite a bit because he like waves her before he goes down. But when she looks again, she sees Kane's face. So you get this idea that she has been seeing him sort of like out of the corner of her eye. But that plot right there where she sees him, he's outside the building and there's a plot point later about him only exist, him only being able to get to certain areas inside the building. Mm-hmm. So him being outside goes against that. So Well, and then the appearance at the school as well. Um, in one of yeah. what well, you assume is like the, the last um, big hypnotic uh, moment that brings him fully forward um you see uh kane at the school right but he's okay so he's in the mirror in the school and in the building he's in the mirrors yes he's he's somehow trapped in the mirrors which yeah so the other side is through the mirrors because mm-hmm. that's something which, i don't see other movies talk about at all i i get it you see like i get the idea of you know the mirror the whole idea of the other side of the mirror being something other and something creepy is not new. I mean, we see this even in Alice through the looking glass way back when. Um, and there were uh, dozens of, you know, cultural things where there is a death in the house, you cover the mirrors for a while and that kind of thing. So I get that, but it doesn't play into the lore that was built in the first two movies. Now the second movie built a lot on what we saw the first movie. It was just, um, the houses were built on the graves and the spirits of the people in the graves were pissed. Okay. The second movie adds on to it saying that it's not just that this was a graveyard. It's also this crazy preacher and his doomsday cult and it's the same land. And he's the one who's been, you know, corralling all these spirits all this time. And he's the one who's after her. It worked well together, but Mm -hmm. adding the new element of the mirrors, it just, it doesn't jive with what we already know about the Poltergeist series. 
Well, there was a bit about Native Americans. I didn't. We watched the second one, mm-hmm. so I'm just I'm trying to remember from a while ago. But I was it Native. I'm trying to remember which culture it was where they didn't like their photographs taken because they thought it could be captured there. Because I equate that not the same. Oh, I yeah, mostly really to the mirror theory. Yeah, I remember hearing that, but I I couldn't tell you, and I don't know that they even mentioned um what uh what um sort of tribe or ancestral heritage Taylor um the Native American man in the second film had, only that he was presented as a Native American man man and a sort of like a being of light compared to the dark that was the Reverend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they had a lot of really good elements they touched on. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't fully flush. But again, I think it was really poor writing. And then, as we'll, we'll learn later on, there is a good uh, amount of evidence that not everything was filmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we'll go so, that. Rather than happening over a stretch of days, this basically takes place in one night. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, we see like the little things during the day the, there's cracking mirrors which I thought was done to good effect a um, little bit a little unsettling things which actually and we see this years later in um, what is it paranormal activity where you're looking in the mirror or you see the mirror and there's a movement in the mirror that doesn't match the movement outside and we see this with the aunt who works in the art gallery when a painting not a painting a sculpture kind of moves and turns and stares at her and you see it do that in the mirror though the real one stays the same and i thought that was good i thought that was nice it was creepy it was a good scare effect and they did that a few other times and the way they did this with the mirrors was really cool that um they had like body doubles in the mirror mm-hmm. and they would mimic the movements and they'd use audible cues but they removed those later just so people were on point mm-hmm. and I thought they did a really good job so I'm going to assume that all the times it was not on point was intentional <laughs> <laughs> um, Which, this uh, seems as good time as I need to point out that this uh, film is primarily practical effects which I love uh, yes um, that is uh, uh, to my mind a calling card of a good film I think lately CGI is such an easy um, shortcut and it doesn't hold up as well but the only um special effect that wasn't a practical effect in this film is lightning that you see over the building at the end that's it yeah and and that was that was the the end like it goes as the credits are about to start mm-hmm. so it's and it fit well it it fit well but it thought it felt mm, contrived yes it's like, oh no, we have to make you know sequel bait. There's no mm-hmm. sequel. <laughs> well, for good reason too. Yeah. Um, so we have this one night where everything sort of goes south, and of course it's the aunt's big art gallery opening. Um, so the aunt and the uncle are there. They're all in the building, but they're not together. And then of course this is the night that good girl Donna, the older cousin, decides she is going to sneak out and leave Caroline alone. To be fair, Carol Ann was the one who's like, no, no, you go. I'll be fine because mm-hmm. she's the little helper. She you know, wants to make everyone happy and told her cousin to go. Oh, true, true. I don't fault Donna at all for that. But I would say uh, there's a moment where she gets kind of like a loop uh, where she sees Carol Ann and Carol Ann talks to her 
and then like she turns around and Caroline is there again and talks to her and it's the exact same dialogue. Um, you'd think that would have given her a pause, but no. So it, what it leads to is our teenagers, um, Donna and her friends and, you know, the boy that she likes who is kind of creepy if you ask me. Um, and her yeah. stupid friends engaging in your classic teenager bad behavior. And we all know what happens when teenagers engage in bad behavior in horror movies. They so we have, <laughs> we have their little party. We have them sneaking around. Um, Donnie uses her father's master keys because he is like, an, I don't know if he's an architect or a building manager or something there. Um, he has master keys to everything. So she uses those to sneak into the pool. They go and they um, technically not steal food if they leave money, like they say. But um, they took beer, which requires your idea. Beer. Which the, the boy they did was have. his idea. Yeah. And I'm just like, really, Donna? Just really? That part? That, that um, brought in some nice product placement there we had our coke we had our coors beer and jay's potato chips a chicago brand i'm, I'm gonna keep bringing that up you know yeah though i'm pretty sure it wasn't done on purpose it was just as what they found at the corner store <laughs> um no uh honestly every anytime you see a label in in a film somebody is getting a paycheck so true so I don't we have these mean. uh stupid teenagers engaging in stupid teenager behavior which always leads to badness and it does and they so while the friends are in the pool which i actually have to go back but donna is like super smart because she she knows the timing of security cameras to get them in mm -hmm. she knows how to tweak the security recording so it will rewind two hours and play back just video and all this stuff instantly mm -hmm. and i'm like your dad designed this place. Why, why do you know so much? <laughs> yeah, that seems a little much for me. Like, okay, maybe the cameras, maybe. If, like, you're around, you know, other parts of the building where there are cameras and you kind of figured out the timing. But the video thing, that, I, I don't believe that's. I'm not willing to suspend disbelief on that because it seems like too much for a high schooler to do. Unless we had, like, a quick scene of her being in the audiovisual club. Right, right. Yeah. I say, especially a teenager in the eighties, like now, maybe they could figure it out if I'm digital, you know. But mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so she, so they all go in, all the friends go party, and then they go grab the beer and the food, and then for whatever reason, they go back through the security room without checking for the security guard first, mm -hmm. because, and they start to screw with the friends through the um, through the cameras and through the microphones. And we see Carol Ann is not in the house where she's supposed to be. And of course, that's, I mean, we don't want to go over. I think what was one of the better scares in the film is when um, the mirrors are pervasive throughout the film, in the school, in the building, and again, in Carol Ann's bedroom, um, which actually goes to show the, you know, the um, temporary, the temporary um, nature setup that they have of her staying there because she's sleeping on a pull-out sofa yeah even though she had made a sign that said caroline's room but it's its own room with its own sofa that looks like a bedroom mm -hmm. so she um it deals with this like evil double of herself in the mirror that actually grabs her hands and then drags her up the mirror which is pretty creepy yes. um as far as the scares in the film go i think that was a good one yeah that was that one was pretty good um, just because that's, I think that was actually the first moment you realized something in the mirror could actually harm you. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. before it was just, I see this, but 
okay, I'm not going to look. It's not going to affect me. This is the first time we realized they can reach through. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to this, uh, we have Tangina, who is our lovable little psychic from the prior two films. And she gets this, you know, psychic vibration, almost kind of like The Shining, where Carol Ann is in trouble. So she's on her way back and she tried calling the doctor and she's like, you know what you did? And he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go over there and yell at Carol Ann's uncle. Because uh, I know he's busy at an art gallery right now, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to take time out of my Friday night to do this because I am stupid. <laughs> and, you know, he's even a dick to his wife. He's like, you know, make sure you don't screw up dinner while I'm gone. Yeah. So uh, we have Tangina, who gets this psychic vibration in the middle of the day, and then she's, like, rushing to Chicago to, to come to Carol Ann's rescue, and... While Carol Ann is, you know, fighting this evil mirror double, um, she's, like, sending her a message in her mind to break the mirror, and she does, and that's how she escapes the room and ends up running through the building until she gets to the parking garage and is seen on the cameras by Donna and Scott. So I I do have to go back one point, and that's when she she goes through the – she can't get in the elevator because Kane is in the mirror in the elevator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she takes the emergency stairs. And that's what that's what lets the security guard out of his room, and being the best damn security guard he can, he opens the door on the level where Caroline went through, calls her name, and then walks back away. Doesn't do any others searching for her. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Caroline's huddled on the stairwell because, in different directions, everything's freezing over with ice because it's very mm-hmm. cold on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like ice is the other theme they. Ice and water are themes they have with the other side mm-hmm. as well. Water because of that reflective, reflective properties, and then ice because why not? <laughs> yeah, they do make a point to say early on in the film, even before it's apparent that Kane has you know come back, how cold it was in the building. Even then, they get outside and it's so warm. Mm-hmm. Though that is something that really does happen in that building, where people on the upper floors will call down to the concierge going. What is it like outside? Because the temperature will vary so wildly because that building is so tall. Mm. This is an IMDb trivia. Mm-hmm. I know something about Chicago. <laughs> but yeah, I can see that happening because when I've seen it though, when like we're near the cities out here, you go into the very tall buildings, mm-hmm. you can see more movement with the wind and it's just, it's just how it works. Like I see it in my house too, which is the temperature between first and second floor. It's, Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you have the skyscrapers where they're going to have a lot of climate control going because you're not really going to open a window on the 90th floor. Well, they're not going to let you hemp mm-hmm. because Vegas knows what happens when they have, when they do that and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Bad for business. <laughs> so Carol Ann's now running through the parking garage because that's what happens. And that's a ba- it's where she was more or less um, chased. Yeah, and there's no mirror, and there's no mirrors down there too. There's there's no mirrors, but there's a puddle. There's a puddle, and oh, for whatever reason, that and you know that does make you stop and think. Okay, we know that the parking garage is not, uh, you know, like underground, mm-hmm. just from the early early part of the film where they're kind of running through to try and get to, um, to meet carpool. up with their carpool. Um, so why the hell is there a puddle? Um. There just is because they needed it for a plot point. Right. And it was in the middle of a driving section. So it's not like, hey, my car was leaking coolant or something. 
No, mm-hmm. it's it's in a spot a car normally would not be stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hell, you could have at least made it look like a pipe was dripping. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she goes to the puddle and because because she walks into the puddle because you you, you could easily avoid it if you thought about it, but you don't. And you're, of course, going to walk into a puddle when you're wearing footy pajamas. Yes. And the puddle immediately turns to... Well, a portal. A portal, yeah. That would be the right word. And this portal seems to... She struggles with this portal for a long time because between her walking from, like, 50 feet away and Donna and um, Loverboy coming along, she's mm-hmm. still struggling. So that, that was yeah. a good amount She, she so, fights pretty hard, yeah. yeah. And it was also another good jump scare when she gets pulled in. Yes. Well, because at that point, you hadn't quite... They hadn't introduced the water aspect yet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, long story short, you know, Donna and Scott arrive to the rescue, but in the end, they all get yanked in, just, you know. Num, num, I have more people to eat. I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something. (laughs) So, they all go in, and it's about... Now, we have the aunt and uncle, who, uh, the uncle gets called because all the teenagers in the pool, um... Donna's missing, Carolyn's missing, and Scott is missing. They're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And then this doctor shows up bitching about Carolyn, and Tangina shows up. So they're like, what the hell is happening? And again, this is supposed to be a big, you know, career-building night for the aunt. Yeah, and then she has this artist at her gallery, and I was going to stop for a second on top of the gallery. Mm-hmm. They had a Japanese artist there, and then they had the staff, like, wearing, like, Jap- the white staff wearing like Japanese robes with like those bandanas with the Japanese um, sunset or whatever on mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, I don't think that would fly today with the cultural. Yeah, yeah. No. And oh, and their thing that got me was the smoking. Like the uncle's pretty much smoking in the gallery the whole time. Yeah, I mean, well, it was the 80s and you could do that. Um, when I visited you in Chicago in the mid 2000s, there was smoking inside. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been smoking inside in California for quite a while, so it was just like, it's still odd to me, but even more so in a gallery where you have sensitive art <laughs> and possibly flammable art. Well, yeah, you would think that in the long run, I mean, that would never have been allowed in a gallery, but again, it's a movie. Yeah. So just some things I noticed there, but finally the uncle notices that he goes to take care of all the pool stuff and the security gets ushered out, the kids get ushered out. The doctor, Tangina. Um, well, the doctor ends up coming because the pool like ices over and spits Scott out. And right, but the, but the second it's just Bruce, that's when he gets spit out. Mm-hmm. And that's when and then when people come back, the pool's longer iced over. And of course, this is where part kills me. The doctor is there and he's like, "Oh, it's Caroline. She did it. She made you see." I'm thinking Caroline isn't even fucking there, dude. Right. Oh, and then there's a spark shortly after this. Kind of in my notes. Tangina calls Dr. Re- um, Frollo. She calls him Dr. Rasputin. Yes. I like Tangina. <laughs> we always like Tangina. I, I didn't like um, how she went out in this film. I didn't like that at all. Well, she had to leave. I don't know if it's because, but she had to leave the filming early because there was a death in her family. Even uh, so. Yeah. I mean, so, But they did reshoots later on, so I'm like, you can't... Anyway, because I read... What was originally supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's amazing! Um, if we have time, I'll see if I can read it later. But mm-hmm. 
it, it's just um, I, we we have to confront the fact that um, as much as the Aurora family um, has insisted otherwise, this film was not finished when Heather passed away. Um, it becomes painfully obvious in the film when you realize um, you're not seeing her. Mm-hmm. Well, the just to skip back to the ending, the what I'm assuming was the uh, new ending or what they cobbled mm-hmm. together. You did not see her. You don't see her face at all. Yes, and I actually can confirm that that is not Heather O'Rourke um, because they actually cast a young girl who was friends with my cousin, who, you know, my family, Chicago area. So, yes, that is a different child, and that's why she is hiding her face. And if you look, she's actually, I think, a bit smaller than Carol Ann. She actually looks more, she looks younger, like closer to the age that Carol Ann is supposed to be. Again, Lazy, you, you can't even find a child who you could put a wig on that's about the same height and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so she was, you know, hiding her face because it wasn't Carol Ann. In every other instance where we saw Carol Ann, really, um, after the first little bit is, turns out to be not Carol Ann, but her evil double. So you don't see the face. You just see, you know, the hair and the clothes. And then when they do show you the face, it's not her. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to, I mean... What they've said is like it was three quarters done when she passed suddenly. Um, I think it was maybe half done. Yeah. Or it was a half done or maybe it could have been three quarters, but they could have been, but part of that could have been bits of scenes that are um, sequences that they had to then totally rework Mm -hmm. because they couldn't finish filming the way they wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, and the writer director Gary Sherman has stated that he wanted to scrap it, but was pressured by the studio to finish it after she died. Yeah. And so like within like, just a month after she passed, they're like back doing reshoots, mm-hmm. which I know you got a schedule to keep it all. Just could you have taken a little bit more time just to flush some things out? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So now back up from the ending. <laughs> so <laughs> the pool, Scott's out of the pool and Scott, for some reason, freaks out when Tangina tries to talk to him and gets anywhere near him. Don't let her near me, yeah. He has no clue who this woman is, and he has no clue who the doctor is, but we trust him. You think that she would have noticed. Yeah. She should have said something then. Yeah, but she did have a look on her at some points when things Mm -hmm. started going weird that I was like, "Mm." but I think they cut a line or they just didn't let her say it. Mm -hmm. So there now, let's see where we're at. The doctor looking over Scott. Yeah, I'm looking through my notes trying to remember like mm-hmm. what exactly happens in this sequence because it. I'm trying to be um, sequential. It's not working. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Carolyn's not there. Doctor loses his hypnosis because Scott shows up randomly and there's no mm-hmm. questions asked. Um, well, and, and then, then they let Scott like rest. And we have that scene in the corridor, again, with the mirrors where they see Carol Ann. And this is Carol Ann. It's not the double we see. Or at least it looks like her. Yeah. This, I mean, this is actual film of Heather O'Rourke that we see at first. Yeah. Um, and she's, like, playing with the speaking spell, but she's on the opposite side of the mirror. And they're trying to get her to come back. And the doctor is watching this again. It's mass hypnosis. Yeah. Um, and Tangina gets, you know, you can tell she's getting this feeling because when the uncle goes, you know, to like yell at her to come back and steps towards the mirror, she blocks it so he can't get there. 
the creature on the other side touches her and Tangina basically turns into a corpse. And a corpse who's also a portal because Donna crawls out of her ribcage. It, it's less no, it was like breaks that. through her face. It was honestly, yeah. it was it was one of the cooler effects in the film. I thought, yeah, it's it's not as gory as it's sounding because she was such a she turned to such an old corpse, almost almost was, like clay, right? And she was covered in these things. I, was that the clay or was that the dirt or was it leeches? I couldn't really tell. But she crawls her way out, mm-hmm. screaming. So they go and throw her in the shower to clean her off and help calm and hopefully shock her or. Mm-hmm. down to normal and they put a towel on her while she's still under the water because sense um <laughs> and eventually and eventually they get her resting and it's around this time or actually right before this right before Tangina died she had told um bruce and pat that you know she blamed the doctor for him leaning came back mm-hmm. and she told him that was their love that was keeping her to get that was keep you know keeping caroline safe as long as someone loved her she'd be okay mm-hmm. so clap if you believe in love <laughs> well which and then that is what really pisses me off about the ant because we see this change in demeanor in the ant now that morning when they woke up and they were having their toastums for breakfast um it was all lovey-dovey happy family and then suddenly the ant just turns on a dime and suddenly caroline is the evil little brat. Right. That's words. Right. She can't take the gifts anymore. She wants to worry about Bruce Don and herself only. But Bruce, randomly, the guy who's been led to Caroline for a year, no, I we're gonna take care of Caroline. She's family too. Well, yeah, and that is what's surprising because it seemed more like the role of, you know, I wanna get rid of her should have gone to the stepfather. Right. Exactly. Or the, the step uncle in this case. But it, it really bothered me that her blood aunt becomes like this, the you know, evil little brat. And as soon as we, um, they get this call that she's upstairs with Donna. Mm-hmm. No, they're in the they're in the parking garage, and they see um, the car's the friend just... that she works with. Yeah, after the whole snow thing, and God, that was the fakest looking snow. The the the, the gra- they're in the garage. Everything's snowy. The cars turn into monsters. Like mm-hmm. they kind of make me think of the um, in the remake of The Shining when all the garden topiaries start coming to life. Mm-hmm. That's what they remind me of. Mm-hmm. And they made them rock, so they made them look like growling and stuff. And I completely forgot about this shit. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, this part. Okay, and apparently there's like some giant explosion. I couldn't follow it too well because I was just like, what the hell? Um, but. There's an explosion, and the snow turns to ice, and yay, we're saved. All is better. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the aunt's, the aunt's uh, co-worker comes up. She's like, oh, yeah, Donna's upstairs with Carol Ann and blah, blah, blah. So they're like, oh, great, and they're in the elevator, and they're going back up. And the aunt's like, yeah, as soon as we get up there, we're going to pack up all our crap and ship her home. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Lady, it's like, she didn't cause this. She, you were in, like... Mm-hmm. You were Carol Brady's level of love for this child mm-hmm. earlier. What and even when, when Bruce is like, oh, we got to get Carol Ann, and she's like, forget Carol Ann, have your daughter. And this you know? is like so soon after Tangina said, it's your love that keeps you here. Your love yeah, is it's, it's, it, it just, it, maybe I, there was meant to be more of a transition there. I don't know, or show something infecting the aunt, like the creepy uh, mezcal worm in the second one got the father. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
it just it, it seemed very disjointed like it, it doesn't make sense for that sudden change right like i i know there's blood family that can behave that way oh of course but i don't really think it changes on a dime exactly so back low though before the whole frosty's parking garage um i think it's like while they're in the, the parking garage well, They've gone off because they saw Carol Ann run through the mirrors. So Bruce ran after her. Yes, yes. And so Trish ran after him. And they left Frollo to take care of Donna. Mm-hmm. Except Donna decided, Dr. Frollo goes looks to the elevator. Something weird's going on. Yeah, the elevator opens, but the elevator car isn't there. Right. Well, he doesn't see it because first right. it was there. And then as he's trying to force open, he's not looking. And now the elevator car has gone down, and whoopsie daisy, Donna accidentally <coughs> bullshit pushes him in, and we all cheer. Yes, because you know the Yay! first kill it goes to the one who deserves it. <laughs> well, and then this again is something that actually you pointed out when we were talking about it previously that this is like the first real death. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Tangina. Well, in the series, because okay, the grandma passed in the second spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tangina got, you know, I don't, she got killed, but it was kind of by their side. But this mm-hmm. is the first, like, murder, murder yeah, that happened in this side. Mm-hmm. So it was just, like, way out of character for the series. Um, And I wouldn't even consider the grandma in the second film to be, like, a... There was a death, but it wasn't more... Yeah, like, if we were doing a body count, I would still call that movie a zero, because yeah, she just passed because she was an old lady. Right. And then she called Caroline on the creepy phone. Toy phone. Because, mm-hmm. no, I don't find those toys creepy now. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, uh, we've already seen Tangina get turned into, like, this clay corpse and Donna crawl out of her. And now we see Donna, who we thought was, you know, somehow rescued. But now she's she's committed Reveals that she's not quite what we thought. She just straight up kills the guy. And then Scott shows up. Uh, Loverboy, remember? Mm-hmm. And they make out, he rips some of her skin off, revealing that she's actually a corpse. And then they go walk down the hallway. On the wrong side of the mirrors. Yes. Um, I have like a little, um, I would call a headcanon about this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my idea is that like these are two of of Kane's followers who are just like stoked to be in actual bodies. Yeah. Hence the random make out. Otherwise, I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I like to think of them as pain and panic from the Disney Hercules, and it makes it more fun. <laughs> but either way, that's really the last we hear of them. And t- well, the last we see of those characters um, until the end of the movie. <laughs> well, only one of them because we forgot Scott existed and didn't mention him yeah, again. Yeah, that was that was a little um, odd. So some other really good effects I thought in the film um, when we we see Pat and Bruce. Um, locked in like a, a industrial freezer, and they have all this frozen meat hanging, and it starts to like come to life. It's like frozen, full-on frozen pigs. There's like three frozen pigs, and they start squealing and moving. And, and then I'm this like, wall of water starts welling up. And then coming towards them, like um, not like coming from the bottom, but just coming from the back wall towards them. Mm-hmm. So it's that really great creepy effect. Mm-hmm. But then Tangina's in the water, and she gives her necklace which has a lot of power in it to Donna and says, use this will help. Not to Donna, to Bruce. 
She had to Bruce. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Donna had it later on. So that's why. Oh, Donna that. is the cousin, not the aunt. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And, and the idea with the necklace is that she received that from Taylor in the second film, the Native American uh, mm-hmm. man. And it has a lot of, I think it's a lot of beliefs and love in it or something. Mm-hmm. But. So they, this occurs, okay, they've, let's back up to the parking garage. So they're told mm-hmm. like Donna's upstairs and the doctor's with them. This is after Donna has killed the doctor. So obviously. Oh God, Donna killed the doctor? <laughs> so obviously that, you know. No, no, know, no, 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 no. Pause here. Think about that for a second and why that is funny. And then we can move on. Well, I know Catherine Tate would love to kill David Tennant, <laughs> and she tried in the comic relief. Okay, explain. Doctor Who lore. Um, if you watch enough Doctor Who, you can find references and everything. And this one, it kind of jumped out at me. So Yeah, one of the Doctor's companions. So, friend that he kidnaps and they travel with, but it's not really kidnapping. It's just we're having fun. Uh, was named Donna, and she was such a bitch when she started. But at the end, you love her, so of course they had to ruin that and yeah. destroy her progress. Spoilers. Um, yeah, but sore spot there. Anyway. Yes, back to this movie. So they're in, they're in the garage, and they're told, like, even if you want to suspend the disbelief, that, okay, this is really well, is over, and... happy now. Yep, even if it's great, Caroline's back, but uh, the doctor's dead. So, you know, that, that should clear the, the audience knows that, that this isn't true, and they're just like, yay, everything's fine. We're going home, the aunt's a bitch, and I'm going to send my poor beleaguered niece back to her parents because I'm a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, to be fair, like she had, they've only been married a year, and True. a penny, and so they've been married less than a year when Caroline got sent to them. Mm-hmm. So when you're newly married, that that can be a struggle. But there's bigger struggles when you first got married. Get over it. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly it was not a struggle until you know, right, right now, yeah. But I mean, like now, it's just too much for her to handle. It's mm-hmm. it's just a sore spot, sore spot for me. Mm-hmm. So they get back. And um, I would like to point out when we see Kane in the mirror of the elevator, mm-hmm. um, we see him uh, first when Caroline uh, is going to go in and then doesn't, and then we see flash of him later. Um, it goes to show that sort of like the less is more effect that they had going in super uh, supernatural, right? In Poltergeist Two, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know where my mind is. Um, in Poltergeist Two is actually better because seeing this full fledged. You know, Kane standing there. I don't know. It just does not have the same effect. Isn't as scary as kind of the flashes we get in the second one. And also, uh, the man who had played uh, Kane in the second film had died. Um, so they recast it, and we have someone in a very fake-looking, rubbery, uh, either a mask or prosthetic makeup. He doesn't look even remotely like Kane in the other film. So I don't understand the need to put what was clearly a fake face on this guy right and then and it just it's they shouldn't they shouldn't have done the full body shot because i don't think it looked very good at all right it's it's like in the movie jaws they realized they had issues with the shark so Mm -hmm. we hid him most of it we only did small shots we we hid it so it looked better yes it actually um And it worked, you know, to the advantage of the film. It was scarier not seeing the whole thing like that. And actually, in the first um, Alien film, uh, there were going to be shots with the alien walking around that they ended up cutting because it was scarier when it was in flashes like it was. Mm -hmm. 
or we'll give another example. Uh, when the 1998 Godzilla movie came out, they were doing a lot, and actually the same with Cloverfield as well, the first one. They are doing a lot to only show you bits and pieces of the monsters. Mm-hmm. But when they gave us that shot of the monster, everyone's like, that? that like, that's oh. Monster? <laughs> oh, okay. That's scary, I guess. <laughs> and when you're in a situation like this where you know that your budget is less than stellar, I, I really think sticking to the less is more idea is better. Yes. So Bruce and Trish are now heading back up. They're trying to get upstairs. Elevator freaks out on them and decides to go up and down, up and down, scaring them. And eventually it stops like right between the 97th and 98th floor. Mm-hmm. So they have to climb out, which conveniently allows them to see the top of the elevator car. <laughs> Don't you know it? What's up there? Oh, uh, yeah, Dr. He, he got, you know, you think just getting pushed, you'd just be like, you know, crack your skull open. But no, he got pretty well fried up there. Well, considering how Tangina died when she turned to a corpse, I mm-hmm. think that similar thing kind of happened with him mm-hmm. because it was a death by Minion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and again, we cheered. Yay. Yes. So now they're on the top of the hundred-story building. I get how tall is the Hancock building? Oh, good God, I don't remember. Okay, we'll call it a hundred-story building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's, and then finally, some words click. Now that we have some plot here that actually makes sense. Tangina had said "outside in" when she gave the necklace to Bruce, and so they head upstairs and they hop in the window washers scaffolding thingy and decide they're mm-hmm. going to go from the outside in and get into Carol mm-hmm. Andrew that way. Mm-hmm. And they grab a shovel because of course there's a shovel on the hundredth floor. Yeah. Cause that makes sense. And then we're going to take the non sharp edge of the shovel and just whack it against the glass and wonders why it doesn't break. Mm-hmm. When you have a building that you designed to withstand to the Chicago fucking winds that high up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those of you who are not aware, in skyscrapers, once you're up that high, you can actually feel the building swaying with the wind. It's not endemic to Chicago. It's pretty much any skyscraper. So you have to understand how much it needs to withstand at that level. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and there's a lot of wind. They call it the Windy City for a reason. And coming right off the Lake, Mich- Lake Michigan and all that, there is just a shit ton of wind. Well, that's not really why it's called a windy city, but okay. But yeah, I know that, but there's still a lot. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to sound smart. It's not working. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did check. There are 100 stories in the Hancock building um, and 110 in the Sears Tower, also in Chicago. And fuck Willis, I ain't calling it that, but moving on. It's the Sears Tower. That's what's always been. That's what will be. Yes. Uh, so, anyway, so, so 90 something we- floors here and they're, you know, banging on the window trying to get in. And finally, we get a crack going on. Oh, no. Just before we get a crack, though, we get our, we must make it PG-13. So this is my vote for what one of the reshoots were. And that is Bruce saying, fucking son of a bitch, when the window won't break. Because <laughs> there's no reason for him to curse like he has cursed at all during this movie. Mm-hmm. But we want to get that PG-13 rating, so we have to make sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he gets in. So part of the break goes, and he can get in, um, but now looking, he gets sucked in, and now Carol Ann is at the window telling Trish just to go away, uh, but hey, can I see a pretty necklace? But can I see a pretty necklace real quick? Yeah. Give me Tangina's necklace. You don't love me. Yeah. So that doesn't seem odd at all. And you know the aunt who 
loving. The aunt who 10 minutes ago is, I hate that evil little brat. We're going to pack up all her shit. It was not, I do love you. I will fight for you. But, you know, eventually she sounds convincing or something to the demon because the demon turns from Carolyn into a demon face and runs inside. Mm-hmm. So the smart thing to do is, of course, follow demon into the room. Of course. And it looks like Elsa's room from Frozen. Mm-hmm. Only less whimsical. Yeah. So um, now we have, you know, Aunt Pat, who is wishy-washy as hell, uh, in this sort of final battle against Kane to get everyone back. She does look a little bit realistic after a woman who's been through shit because she has the raccoon makeup going. True, so true. At least she did not have perfect makeup like a lot of movies forget mm-hmm. about. Um, and so everything's frozen over. There's still glass. The window freezes over as soon as she gets in. Um, and then Kane came out. And I don't remember much here. I just remember that Kane bitch slapped Trish. Yeah, and, and awesome. she took off. She took off his head with the shovel, and that was actually, I thought, the worst effect. I it just it didn't the head on the ground. It it did not look good to me. It looked like they threw his mask. It looked like he took the mask off, threw it, and not like a head. Yeah, and then it like disintegrated, which was cool. But of all the effects, that was the most dated. Which, considering this movie is literally thirty years old, um, that's pretty good for that to be like the one thing that makes it look old. Yes. Besides the clothing. But, yeah, so, you know, now it's like, she captures him, but no, he's back, and he's still in form, like, mm-hmm. ha, ha, ha. And she, she has to save them with the power of love, and then uh, Tangina appears, and she's, you know, this is always buggy. She's like, I can lead you. I have the knowledge and the power. It's just the way it's said. I have the power. So weird. I'm like, okay, where's the He-Man sword? I'm waiting for it. She seriously said, like, she, she was He-Man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where were you? You know, thank you for offering this earlier because now I'm going to go toddle off my new friend Kane now. No, right. I I, I, it's like, I think if anyone could get out of that, Tangina could, so I don't, I don't particularly like the ending, but again, we know things had to be changed, so we do see, you know, she's like, where are they, where are they, and then we see them walking out, and you see Bruce, and he's carrying Carol Ann, who of course is hiding her face, and Donna and is like lean on him. him, Um, but the, the enduring question here is, where's Scott, are exactly. we really done? Like it, that seemed too simple. Like that it just it seems so anticlimactic. It's anticlimactic and very abrupt the way it ends. I agree with um our our writer director here, Gary Sherman, that this film should have been scrapped after Heather O'Rourke passed. I mean, I don't think it even should have been done, but after she was gone, I think it should have been scrapped because I think it, it just turned out terrible. The ending is is so bad. Right. I mean, maybe. Maybe if you had the money, you could have made a whole new story and then put some clips of her in there that you already shot. Maybe it still would have been in bad taste, mm-hmm. but or, the memory deserves more than this. I Yeah, and that bothered me too. Uh, when you have this piece of shit film, I mean, okay, as a standalone film, it is not that bad. If this was just, you know, the haunting of the Hancock Tower, I'd be like, hey, cool, right? Mm-hmm. As an entry in the Poltergeist series, I don't think it meets up to the other films. Um, so to dedicate this film to her memory after like really good 
really good movies that came before it. it it just it feels wrong yeah though i understand the sentiment there yeah okay so now we just talked about horrible ending i'm gonna read what imdb said was the original ending yes yes do okay in the original ending that was scrapped after heather's tragic death when patricia jumps to the glass pane into the apartment she finds Caroline, donna scott bruce and tangina frozen and dying Shinoss becomes imprisoned in ice and gets attacked by Kane and his evil mirror reflection, who want the necklace. Mm-hmm. Patricia tries to repel them and declares unconditional love for her family, but trips over frozen Tangina and falls to the floor. Suddenly, Tangina frees her arm from the ice and grabs the necklace. She convinces Kane that she is the one who can take him to the other side, not Carolan. Kane puts his hand on the necklace, but instead of ascending, his face cracks and he explodes. The blast frees everyone but annihilates Tangina and causes a violent thunderstorm. Patricia, Caroline, Donna, Scott, and Bruce finally leave the mirror dimension. Caroline sees a reflection of smiling Tangina in the mirror who waves at them and sheds a tear. With the shot of a rising morning sun, the movie ends. Yeah, that would have been a much better ending. Yeah, I mean, I could probably see a few places that, depending on how they work, like, I could see how it, the rest of the movie. I could see how it was impossible to do. Yes. Um, but again, with this, you know, hasty taft on ending, I can't believe they forgot a whole fucking character. Right. That just is wrong. So it does give... Um... Excuse me. I have neighbors. I mean, the garage monsters are after us. <laughs> oh, good God. Okay. Um, that's, you know, a, th- a three-man body count on this film, which, again, is very, very different from the other two, so... Mm-hmm. If this was just a standalone film, I'd be down with it. But I, as part of of the Poltergeist series, it's clearly the weakest entry, and um, honestly, completely unnecessary. Um, I could see if they wanted to go an entirely different route and make it a non freeling family film, just to you know get the idea that hauntings of this kind can take place anywhere and right. involve like a different kid, you know? Exactly. Um, but as it stands, it's just, it's it's a very weak film. Right. Well, at that time, like, I think with, at that time, for the most part, trilogies still had to follow one character. I mean, even 976 Evil had one character, or possibly mm-hmm. two they followed. So, uh, I can't quite remember what it's been whilst I've seen those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays... Well, I mean, all, you could have just, like, you know, poltergeist the new, you know, the new chapter or something and... Right. Um, there was a TV series about, called Poltergeist, but it had nothing to do with the film. Yeah, Poltergeist the Legacy, which inter- actually was a very good series, but it had nothing to do with this. Yeah, I and remember again, watching it. Poltergeist is a complete misnomer for the second and third films. In the first film, this does present as as a typical poltergeist with the objects moving centered around a young girl dealing with like electronic stuff like with the TV. Um, the second and third films uh, are not what would be considered classic poltergeist activity. Right. It's just, Th- this is more just haunting centered on one person. Right. It, it, I mean, I would normally, I would give them a pass because you weren't planning on making the series, but then mm-hmm. you did so poorly in the third one that no, you, you don't get that pass anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, 
so you can't really talk about poltergeist films without talking about, you know, the urban legend of the poltergeist curse. Mm-hmm. Although there's no like specific impetus for the curse. There's no saying, oh, yes, they filmed on, you know, an ancient burial ground kind of thing saying that would started it. Um, it's just referred to as a curse because um, of the people who starred in the films, there were four major deaths. Um, the first one happened after the first movie. Uh, Dominique Dunn, who played the older sister, Dana, um, was uh, murdered by her abusive boyfriend. She had just broken up with this man. And I will say his name here, it's John Sweeney. So wherever he is, I hope he's having a really shitty life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he strangled her uh, into unconsciousness in her own driveway and left her on the ground for dead. And then she died in a coma a few days later. This fucker got less than four years served in prison and he was out. He straight up murdered his girlfriend who he had been abusing for years prior. She had finally gotten to the point where she could break away from him and stood her ground when he came groveling at her door and he murdered her in public and he served less than four years in prison. I've known people who have, you know, hit someone in a car accident and served more time than that. There are people in jail right now for possession of marijuana who have served more time than that. It just, I knew that she had been murdered before this. I knew the story uh, that she had been killed by her boyfriend, but I had no idea that there was such a huge miscarriage of justice here. And it absolutely disgusts me. Yes. It's, there's really not more I can add. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing, especially, you know, um, if you have, you know, any eye on politics lately, you know there is a huge upheaval, especially when it comes to the treatment of women. Um, and this is just another example of what has been going on for so long, and it just it, it blows my mind. Um, Will Sampson, who played Taylor um, in the second film, the the um, Native American man, he also passed away. Um, this wasn't a particularly sudden or unexpected death. Um, He needed a heart and lung transplant, uh, but had some uh, malnutrition going into the operation um, and developed a fungal infection after the operation. And it just, they couldn't save him after that. Um, Very sad, obviously, but not like a sudden unexpected thing. And the same for the man who played Kane in the second film, um, Julian Beck. Mm Mm-hmm. Which this movie also mentions him as well. Mm-hmm. So give a shout to him. Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, he was in his 60s and he had been fighting cancer for some time. So it was not, not a surprise that uh, when he did pass. Now, Heather O'Rourke is, is uh, the most famous version, famous known uh, person to suffer the curse. The, the official story is that um, she'd been dealing with Crohn's disease. Um, but was but diagnosed. It, a, a bowel obstruction was missed um, and this caused her to go into sepsis and eventually into cardiac arrest. And though they operated to try and fix it, it just, it didn't take. Um, and she passed on the operating table. Horrible thing. She was just a little girl. She was 12 years old. And for something so big to have been missed, it's just, it's a little beyond me. Um, and the official the story th- is that she never complained, never said anything. She's yeah. just had to work. 
Here's the thing, though. I had already mentioned, you know, we're in an era of, you know, looking at the treatment of, of not only the treatment of women, but the treatment of, of children in Hollywood. And I, uh, I was hesitant to bring this up, but I think it is interesting to note, considering um, what we've seen. Basically, if you were a child star in the 70s or 80s, there has not been much much expectation for you to like survive your 20s. Uh, we've seen it so many times. Um, deaths through you know misadventure with drugs, deaths from you know suicide, and uh, there is a blog that I kind of got linked to accidentally and started like reading voraciously. And I stay away from it because it's stuff that I don't want to know. It's called Crazy Days and Nights. It's a Hollywood um, supposed Hollywood insider blind item blog right so this guy who knows all those stories and knows all the people writes about shit and the thing is a lot of the things that he's written about have been true he'd been writing about kevin spacey for years before that came out he'd been writing about harvey weinstein for years before that came out one of the things he wrote um implied very very heavily and later he did uh write a blind item thing that yes this was about this girl um, without getting too far into details, was saying that Hollywood in the 80s was basically full of pedophiles and predators, and something was done to this child that they covered up. And I hope to God it's not true, but at the same time, I don't find it difficult to believe. It, you know, children are not people. They are there to work. And in, in Hollywood, they're not people. They're there for a paycheck. And the ones who got out of it as teenagers, when they had their say and their parents supported them, they are the lucky ones. I mean, and we see this even now. I mean, the, the supposed, like, the child stars that you and I grew up with, we, I mean, everyone saw what happened to Britney Spears. Uh, we don't know, you know, all of the information behind, but she had um, a complete public meltdown. In 2007, um, that doesn't happen accidentally. This is like the treatment of kids in the movie industry. Now we have a little girl who um, it wasn't just the poltergeist movies that she was making her money on. She had recurring roles on TV shows. She was, you know, she had a very, um, she was a good actress. She was, she was a good actress. She had a striking look. She was recognizable. I mean, you say poltergeist and anyone will go, you know, they're here. They know it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had recurring roles on Happy Days, on the new Leave It to Beaver, um, a bunch. And that was another thing, is TV shows in the 80s were very kid-centric. And looking back, it's a little creepy. Yeah, just to go into that. So, so. yeah, ha- um, Happy Days, uh, Webster, she wasn't, oh, I don't know, it, <coughs> excuse me. It doesn't seem unbelievable to me. So it does make me wonder, particularly in the light of, you know, the little girl from, um, you know her name. Uh, Ducky. Ducky, yeah. So in Land Before Time, there was this character called Ducky. And uh, Judith something was the actress's name. And she was so sweet. Her dad was jealous of her fame and killed her. Again, that is the that is the you know the given story. Again, yeah. I've read the opposite, saying that the mother was allowing things to be done to her to get her more roles and more money. And when the father found out, he was disgusted and killed them both. You never really know, right? The, the thing is, it's just such a toxic environment. Um, I know. I remember seeing something with one of the Corys who was trying to talk about this back 
in the 80s or mm -hmm. maybe maybe it was in the 90s about how toxic Hollywood was and uh, a certain reporter said are you aware this is going to ruin people's lives it's like Ari has I'm just trying to ruin the one and in my mind I'm like mm -hmm. it has I'm just, he's just trying to ruin the ones who did the hurting first mm -hmm. so it doesn't mm -hmm. happen again um, that woman by the way who questioned him was Barbara Walters so kudos to her for her um, trying to keep her you know for everything she sacrificed so she could be there and the, Mm -hmm. she, she makes me think of those smiling women right now who are supporting certain uh, men in uh, politics who should not mm -hmm. be where they are. That's the thing too, is that they say in Hollywood, there is this divide. There is a divide between people who are sort of disgusted by what's going on. And then those people who think, well, yeah, it's happening, but it's just how you do in this business. Um, just cause it's how it's been done. Doesn't mean it should keep being done that way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, um, obviously this is all, you know, speculation. It's just something that was posted online somewhere that I read, but um, it doesn't seem too unlikely to me. Um, right. And then there was other um, things that go along with the curse. Mm -hmm. um, there was a small character in the first one. He played a construction worker. Uh, Lou Pearman was the guy. Mm -hmm. um, but in 2009, he was, um, there was a, a different guy that was on run from the police, entered Lou's home, and attacked him with an axe. That's um, always nice. Yeah, that was in 2009. Um, apparently, the, in the first movie, the clown on set actually did something to the, bo to the boy, the brother. Um, my favorite part of this is the uh, Joe Beth Williams. That's the mom from the first one. Yes. Oh, no, her home. I can't imagine why. Okay, so for those who don't know, supposedly, in the first movie, there's some skeletons in the pool that they're digging in the backyard. Um, that the bodies rose up, and, you know, they're fake, right? Of course mm -hmm. they're fake. No, they were real. <laughs> can't imagine why that wouldn't fuck with people. Mm-hmm. Um, someone got a lightning strike. I'm on what page right now. <laughs> so... There's, let's see. Uh, and apparently the remake had some strange equipment failures mm. on one plot of land, blah, blah, blah. We're just trying to make ourselves um, relevant, I think. Relevant, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, like, someone getting attacked with an axe, that's awful, but I can't imagine it had any ties to a film that he had a bit part in 27 years earlier, you know? Exactly. It that just it, goes with people look for look for a way to tie this all in together. In this case, I don't believe there's a real curse. I think it's some really unfortunate things that happen to people who didn't deserve it. Um, people but just, I don't think yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of stuff, bad stuff happens. It's just we can, can we can we can link these all to one place. It, it's like playing twelve degrees of separation or Mm -hmm. of Kevin Bacon, whatever. You know, you look for them, you look for coincidences, they'll be there. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of where that curse comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but, As opposed to, like, there's a John Wayne film where a shit ton of people involved that came down to, like, a third of all cast and crew got cancer. You can call that a curse, or you can go, oh, they were filming right near a nuclear testing facility, so... Right, so you, I think you it was know, a curse. So, yeah, um... There is this, uh, they love to have this, you know, mythos and lore about old Hollywood, about new Hollywood. So you'll get these stories, oh yeah, there was a curse, or oh yeah, there was, you know, or, you know, oh, um, James Dean's 
car. It's killed several people now and, you know, stuff like that. It, it's just adding to the legend of these people who are involved. In this case, you know, you have a scary movie, a series of scary movies. So when you have, you know, several principal cast members who have died, you're, people are like, oh, yeah, it's a curse. It's a curse. Like, no. You know, he had cancer. He had a transplant. She had a disease. She was murdered by someone. This isn't a curse. This is just really unfortunate things. Mm-hmm. And then with the guy I mentioned from 2009, that's just like, that's just stretching it. Because, mm-hmm. okay, so the thing about James Dean's car. Okay, so he passed a long ass time ago. Mm-hmm. The longer on you go, the more it's, the more opportunities you have for bad stuff to happen. Well, not only that, it's like, if you, why would you take on a car that's already been wrecked? Clearly, there's going to be some problems there. Right. It's like saying there's a curse on The Simpsons because bad stuff has happened to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been on there 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in 30 years' time, something bad's going to happen to any sampling of the population. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just, I like to look at it as like, this is just something fun, but not, you know, something serious. But it's just like... Other people are free to look at it that way, but also take a look at what really is going on. Like, mm-hmm. take a moment to look behind, like Stu was talking about with all the all the perverts and weirdos in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Not the weirdos, honestly, weirdos are fun. Perverts are Honestly, um, in terms of curses on movies and stuff, the one I'd be more concerned about is that during the filming of The Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel was struck by lightning like three times. <laughs> that is the one I'd say. Hey, wait a minute. I quit. I'm done. But no, Lord, if you want me to stop, give me a sign. Ow, that lightning hurt. But do you have a sign for me? (laughs) Why am I going to hell? Hmm. But okay, so back to the movie though, in general. Mm -hmm. Overall, I agree with you. It's like, as if it's not connected to something with its own mythology already, it's a good movie. It's a decent movie. Mm -hmm. When you add in that mythology from the first two, I'm sorry, but I'm going to poke holes. They're going to show up. And that's a problem that you see with any like TV series that goes on for a long time. The longer it's on, the more sketchy the um, the mythology. I mean, we've all heard that um, that term before. Just I haven't. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so this is going back to um, Buffy. Basically, it's where the script is changed. The script changes abruptly. Um, something that was like a cardinal of the past. So it's like. Well, to use a more modern thing, it's like when you watch the Avengers and it's like totally obvious that Hawkeye and Black Widow thing. And then in the next movie, he's got a wife and kids. That were never known before because. Yeah. But she knew about them. So I'm like, okay, I feel less skeevy now. But I, I get him trying to hide them and all, but it's just. Well, no, 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 no. Even the actor said, what the hell? And yeah. look, I have a lot of very, very good friends. There are at least four people I can see consider like close enough friend I would give you a kidney thing um I don't walk around wearing something that is emblematic of them around my neck as opposed to Black Widow walking around wearing an arrow around her in the first film true um but that is just an example it's where something changes like does a complete 180 and confuses the hell out of people um and that happens with anything that goes on long enough like on a tv show um Supernatural is really good at this. No continuity whatsoever. <laughs> um, so when you're making a third film in a series, you're going to fuck that up if you don't pay close attention 
to the originals. And, and they did that in terms of, of the mythology on this. So it's really, it, it doesn't feel like a poltergeist film. Part of me wants to think like, okay, maybe they did some research and it was just that bad. But then their part of me is like, oh God, what was it before? Mm-hmm. It's just, there's so different. It's, it's one of my pet peeves where I'm like, do your job, take some pride in it, do it well, or get out of the way someone else would be happy to have that job. Mm-hmm. When I was on unemployment, that worked me the most. Um, I've had different jobs. I've had coworkers that were just slackers. And I'm just like, do you know how many people want a job who'd be happy to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, you should take a job where they pay you slave wages and don't, like, you know, give you any freedom and you're controlling. No, I'm saying, okay, you know what, maybe all I could get right now, maybe I have a bachelor's degree and all I can get is McDonald's counter person. You know what, I'm going to still do a good job. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I'm going to do a good job because, you know what, it will prepare me for other jobs and it will keep my head in the right space and mm-hmm. other people would love to have this job. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is no small job. There is no Mick job to me. It's, this is a job. Do you use it to support yourself? Okay. Take it seriously. Um, okay, that tangent's done. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts? Um, again, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I've said this repeatedly. I don't really feel like it's a poltergeist film. Um, I like the idea of sort of like a haunted um, uh, skyscraper like this. I think you could do a lot with that. But as a whole, I think this is just, it, it's not good. Not good. Nope. Uh, it's, it is the perfect movie for a TV station to buy rights to to play continuously because they could get it for cheap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's entertaining enough to put on any point and not worry about missing too much plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, and if you I... watch just the first two films, you're not missing anything by skipping this one. No. I mean, you can have some fun with it, but it's not where, oh my god, I need to see how this ends, because it this doesn't end it well. <laughs> no, no, the ending. I mean, it could have even been a standalone film if not for that ending. Mm-hmm. They so, want... As I said, I understand why they did it that way. I think the writer director was correct in wanting to scrap the film entirely. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I get why all the pressure not to, but I, I would, especially when they only had to do supposedly so little reshoots, but mm-hmm. it, you could have done better. You, you don't even get a participation trophy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You get a pat on the head. <laughs> All right. Well, and again, um, there should have been a far more fitting um, tribute to Heather O'Rourke, who, you know, was a talented actress who we lost way too soon. Yes, definitely. All right. Um, any um, final words about your other adventures uh, on the internet? Of course. Um, I am very pleased to be guesting here at Saturday Morning Pajamas. Um, you can find me regularly at bloody-mess.net, where horror and geekery meet and co make out in the corner a little bit. Uh, we're always looking for new writers, so feel free to contact us if you're interested. And, you know, have fun. Stay spooky. All right. And we're going to hear a couple words from um, my pre-record self. Um, but otherwise, be excellent to each other. Do you like books? Do you not have as much time to read these books as you used to? Are you always on the go and in between driving here, exercising there, and listening to quality podcasts such as this one? Do you just not have the time? Well, I have the great thing for you. 
Audible, an Amazon company, is offering all of our listeners here at Saturday Morning Pajamas a free 30-day trial of their service. What does this trial give you? Well, a free audiobook of your choosing, as well as discounts on additional books. Like the service? Keep it going for as low as $14.95 per month, and you will continue to receive a free audiobook every month along with those discounts. Not too happy with the service? You're free to cancel at any time and keep any books you've received for free or purchased during the time of your membership or free trial. Please head over to audibletrial.com smp, or you can find a direct link at the blog post on nonoms.net. I'd like to thank you all for tuning into Saturday Morning Pajamas today. It's been a pleasure. Remember, if you like this podcast even just a little bit, why not consider becoming a patron? More details may be found at our tip jar on nonoms.net. Speaking of nonoms.net, that is our website, and more information about this episode and everything SMP may be found at the link. Don't know where our website is? It's www.nonoms.net. N-O-M-S We look forward to your comments, constructive criticism, what have you, on the blog post. Want to connect with us another way? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at SMP underscore Jacks. We also have a YouTube channel where all episodes plus a few extras are available. I would like to finally personally thank all of our wonderful listeners on TuneIn, Stitcher, Popping Player, iTunes, Google Play Music, Spreaker, and everywhere else podcasts are available. You all are what makes creating this podcast worthwhile, and we won't be here if it wasn't for you. Till next time, be excellent to each other.